0: Disc 6. 14. As the viewing platform he occupied with Shmi, Padme, and Jar Jar slowly lowered, Qui-Gon watched the crowd surge toward Anakin's racer. The boy had brought the pod to a skidding halt in the center of the raceway, shut down the Radon Ulzers, and climbed out. Kitster had already reached him and was hugging him tightly... And R2D2 and C3PO were scuttling around them both. When the crowd converged, moments later, they hoisted Anakin aloft and carried him away, chanting and shouting his name. Qui-Gon exchanged a warm smile with Shmi, nodding his approval of the boy's performance. Anakin Skywalker was special indeed. The viewing platform settled in place smoothly, and its occupants offloaded onto the raceway in a rush. Allowing his companions to join the celebration, the Jedi Master turned back toward the stands. Ascending the stairways swiftly, he reached Watto's private box in minutes. A knot of aliens departed just in front of him, laughing and joking in several languages, counting fistfuls of currency and credits. Watto was staring out at the chanting crowd hovering at the edge of the viewport, a dejected look on his wrinkled blue face. The moment he caught sight of Qui-Gon, his dejection transformed, and he flew at the Jedi Master in undisguised fury. You! You swindled me! He bounced in the air in front of Qui-Gon, shaking with rage. You knew the boy was going to win! Somehow you knew it! I lost everything! Qui-Gon smiled benignly. Whenever you gamble, my friend, eventually you'll lose. Today wasn't your day. The smile dropped away. Bring the hyperdrive parts to the main hangar right away. I'll come by your shop later so you can release the boy. The Toydarian shoved his snout against Qui-Gon's nose. You can't have him. It wasn't a fair bet. Qui Gon looked him up and down with a chilly stare. Would you like to discuss it with the Huts? I'm sure they would be happy to settle the matter. Watto jerked as if stung, his beady eyes filled with hate. No, no, I want no more of your tricks. He gestured emphatically. Take the boy, begone. He wheeled away and flew out of the box, body hunched beneath madly beating wings. Qui-Gon watched him depart, then started down the stairs for the racetrack, his mind already turning to other things. Had he not been so preoccupied with his plans for what lay ahead, he might have caught sight of the Sith probe droid trailing after. Within an hour, the arena had emptied, the racers had been stored or hauled away for repairs, and the main hangar left almost deserted. A few pitroids were still engaged in salvaging pieces of wreckage from the race, coming and going in steady pursuit of their work. Anakin alone of the pod pilots remained, checking over his damaged racer. He was dirty and ragged, his hair spiky, and his face streaked with sweat and grime. His jacket was torn in several places, and there was blood on his clothing where he had slashed his arm on a jagged piece of metal during the battle with Sebulba. Qui-Gon watched him thoughtfully standing to one side with Padme and Shmi as the boy, Jar Jar, R2-D2 and C-3PO moved busily over the pod and engines. Could it be, he was wondering, for what must have been the hundredth time, pondering the way the boy handled a pod racer, the maturity he exhibited, and the instincts he possessed. Was it possible? He shelved his questions for another time. It would be up to the council to decide. Abruptly, he left the women, walking over to the boy and kneeling beside him. You're a bit worse for wear, Annie, he said softly, placing his hands on the boy's shoulders and looking him in the eyes. But you did well. Smiling reassuringly, he wiped a patch of dirt off the boy's face. There, good as new. He ruffled the boy's unruly hair and helped bind his injured arm. Shmi and Padme joined them and were moved to give Anakin fresh hugs and kisses, checking him over carefully, touching his cheeks and forehead. Ah, gee, enough of this, the boy mumbled in embarrassment. His mother smiled, shaking her head. It's so wonderful, Annie, what you've done here. Do you know? You've brought hope to those who have none. "'I'm so very proud of you.' "'We owe you everything,' Padme added quickly, "'giving him an intense, warm look.' "'Anakin blushed scarlet. "'Just feeling this good is worth anything,' he declared, smiling back. qui gon walked over to where the hyperdrive parts "'were loaded on an anti-grav repulsor sled "'harnessed to a pair of EAPs. Watto had made delivery as promised.' though not without considerable grumbling and a barrage of thinly veiled threats. Qui-Gon checked the container straps, glanced out into the midday heat, and walked back to the others. Padme, Jar Jar, let's go, he ordered abruptly. We've got to get these parts back to the ship. The group moved over to the eopes laughing and talking. Padme hugged and kissed Anakin again, then climbed onto one of the Eopes behind Qui-Gon, taking hold of his waist. Jar Jar swung onto the second animal and promptly slid off the other side, collapsing in a heap. R2-D2 beeped encouragingly as the Gungan tried again, this time managing to keep his seat. Goodbyes and thank yous were exchanged, but it was an awkward moment for Anakin. He looked as if he wanted to say something to Padme, moving up beside her momentarily, staring up at her expectantly. But all he could manage was a sad, confused look. Slowly, the Epees began to move off, Anakin and his mother standing with C-3PO, waving after. ''I'll return the Epees by midday,'' Qui-Gon promised, calling over his shoulder. Padmé did not look back at all. Qui-Gon Jinn and company rode out of Mos Espa into the Tatooine Desert, R2-D2 leading the way, rolling along in front of the EAPs and sled at a steady pace. The suns were rising quickly to a midday position in the sky, and the heat rose off the sand in waves. But the journey back to the Queen's transport was accomplished swiftly and without incident. Obi-Wan was waiting for them, appearing down the rampway as soon as they neared, his youthful face intense. I was getting worried, he announced without preamble. Qui-Gon dismounted, then helped Padme down. ''Start getting this hyperdrive generator installed,'' he ordered. ''I'm going back. I have some unfinished business.'' ''Business?'' his protege echoed, arching one eyebrow. ''I won't be long.'' Obi-Wan studied him a moment, then sighed. ''Why do I sense we've picked up another stray?'' Qui-Gon took his arm and moved him away from the others. ''It's the boy who's responsible for getting us these parts.'' He paused. The boy whose blood sample you ran the midi-chlorian test on last night. Obi-Wan gave him a hard, steady look, then turned away. On a rise overlooking the spacecraft, hidden in the glare of the suns and the ripple of the dunes, the Sith probe droid hung motionless for a final transmission, then quickly sped away. Anakin walked home with his mother and C-3PO, still wrapped in the euphoria of his victory, but wrestling as well with his sadness over the departure of Padme. He hadn't thought about what would happen to her if he won the Bunta Eve, that it would mean Qui-Gon would secure the hyperdrive generator he needed to make their transport functional. So when she bent to kiss and hug him goodbye, it was the first time he had given the matter any serious thought since her arrival. He was stunned, caught in a mix of emotions, and all of a sudden he wanted to tell her to stay. But he couldn't bring himself to speak the words, knowing how foolish they would sound, realizing she couldn't do so in any case. So he stood there like a droid without its vocoder, watching her ride away behind Qui-Gon, thinking it might well be the last time he would ever see her, and wondering how he was going to live with himself if it was. Unable to sit still once he had walked his mother to their home, he placed C-3PO back in his bedroom, deactivated him, and went out again. Qui-Gon had told him he was relieved of any work today at Watto's, so he pretty much could do what he wanted until the Jedi returned. He gave no thought to what would happen then, wandering down toward Mos Espa Way, waving as his name was shouted out from every quarter on his journey, basking in the glow of his success. He still couldn't quite believe it, and yet it felt as if he had always known he would win this race. Kitster appeared, then Amy and Wald, and soon he was surrounded by a dozen others. He was just approaching the connector to Mos Espa Way when a Rodian youngster, bigger than himself, blocked his way. Anakin had cheated, the Rodian sneered. He couldn't have won the Bunty Eve any other way. No slave could win anything. "'Anakin was on top of him so fast "'the bigger being barely had time to put up his arms in defense "'before he was on the ground. "'Anakin was hitting him as hard and fast as he could, "'not thinking about anything but how angry he was, "'not even aware that the source of his anger "'had nothing to do with his victim "'and everything to do with losing Padmé. "'Then Qui-Gon, returned by now with the Iopis, "'was looming over him. "'He pulled Anakin away, separating the two fighters,' and demanded to know what this was all about. Somewhat sheepishly, but still angry, Anakin told him. Qui-Gon studied him carefully, disappointment registering on his broad features. He fixed the young Rodian with his gaze and asked him if he still believed Anakin had cheated. The youngster, glowering at Anakin, said he did. Qui-Gon put his hand on Anakin's shoulder and steered him away from the crowd, not saying anything until they were out of hearing. You know, Annie, he said then, his deep voice thoughtful. Fighting didn't change his opinion. The opinions of others, whether you agree with them or not, are something you have to learn to tolerate. He walked the boy back toward his home, counseling him quietly about the way life worked, hand resting on his shoulder in a way that made Anakin feel comforted. As they neared the boy's home, the Jedi reached beneath his poncho and produced a leather pouch filled with credits. ''These are yours,'' he announced. ''I sold the pod.'' He pursed his lips. ''To a particularly surly and rather insistent Doug. Anakin accepted the bag, grinning broadly, the fight and its cause forgotten. He ran up the steps to his door and burst through, Qui-Gon following silently. ''Mom, Mom!'' he cried out as she appeared to greet him. ''Guess what? Qui-Gon sold the pod. Look at all the money we have!'' He produced the leather pouch and dropped it into her hands, enjoying the startled look on her face. ''Oh, my goodness,'' she breathed softly, staring down at the bulging pouch. ''Annie, that's wonderful.'' Her eyes lifted quickly to meet Qui-Gon's. The Jedi stepped forward, holding her gaze. ''Annie has been freed,'' he said. The boy's eyes went wide. ''What?'' Qui-Gon glanced down at him. ''You are no longer a slave.'' Shmi Skywalker stared at the Jedi in disbelief, her worn face rigid, her eyes mirroring her shock and disbelief. ''Mom! Did you hear that, Mom?'' Anakin let out a whoop and jumped as high as he could manage. It wasn't possible, but he knew it was true, knew that it really was. He managed to collect himself. ''Was that part of the prize, or what?'' he asked, grinning. Qui-Gon grinned back. Let's just say Watto learned an important lesson about gambling. Shmi Skywalker was shaking her head, still stunned by the news, still working it through. But the sight of Anakin's face made everything come clear for her in an instant. She reached out to him and pressed him to her. Now you can make your dreams come true, Annie, she whispered, her face radiant as she touched his cheek. "'You're free!' She released him and turned to Qui-Gon, her eyes bright and expectant. "'Will you take him with you? Is he to become a Jedi?' Anakin beamed at the suggestion, wheeling quickly on Qui-Gon, waiting for his answer. The Jedi Master hesitated. "'Our meeting was not a coincidence. Nothing happens by accident.' You are strong with the Force, Annie, but you may not be accepted by the Council. Anakin heard what he wanted to hear, blocking away everything else, seeing the possibilities that had fueled his hopes and dreams for so long come alive in a single moment. A Jedi, he gasped. You mean I get to go with you and your starship and everything? And be with Padme again. The thought struck him like a thunderbolt, wrapping him in such expectancy that it was all he could do to listen to what the Jedi Master said next. Qui-Gon knelt before the boy, his face somber. ''Anakin, training to be a Jedi will not be easy. It will be a challenge. And if you succeed, it will be a hard life.'' Anakin shook his head quickly. ''But it's what I want. It's what I've always dreamed about.'' He looked quickly to his mother. ''Can I go, Mom?'' But Qui-Gon drew him back with a touch. ''This path has been placed before you, Annie. The choice to take it must be yours alone.'' The man and the boy stared at each other. A mix of emotions roiled through Anakin, threatening to sweep him away, but at their forefront... "'was the happiness he felt "'at finding the thing he wanted most "'in all the world within reach, "'to be a Jedi, "'to journey down the space lanes of the galaxy. "'He glanced quickly at his mother, "'at her worn, accepting face, "'seeing in her eyes that in this, "'as in all things, "'she wanted what was best for him. "'His gaze returned to Qui-Gon. "'I want to go,' he said. "'Then pack your things,' "'the Jedi Master advised. "'We haven't much time.' "'Yippee!' the boy shouted, "'jumping up and down, "'anxious already to be on his way. "'He rushed to his mother "'and hugged her as hard as he could manage, "'then broke away for his bedroom. "'He was almost to the doorway "'when he realized he had forgotten something. "'A chill swept through him "'as he wheeled back to Qui-Gon. "'What about Mom?' he asked hurriedly, "'eyes darting from one to the other. "'Is she free too?' You're coming, aren't you, Mom? Qui-Gon and his mother exchanged a worried glance, and he knew the answer before the Jedi spoke the words. I tried to free your mother, Annie, but Watto wouldn't have it. Slaves give status and lend prestige to their owners here on Tatooine. The boy felt his chest and throat tighten. But the money from selling... Qui-Gon shook his head. It's not nearly enough there was a hushed silence and then Shmi Skywalker came to her son and sat down in a chair next to him taking both of his hands in hers and drawing him close her eyes were steady as she looked into his Annie my place is here she said quietly my future is here it is time for you to let go to let go of me I cannot go with you the boy swallowed hard ''I want to stay with you, then. I don't want things to change.'' She gave him an encouraging smile, her brow knitting. ''You can't stop change any more than you can stop the suns from setting. Listen to your feelings, Annie. You know what's right.'' Anakin Skywalker took a long, slow breath and dropped his gaze, his head lowering. Everything was coming apart inside all the happiness melting away, all the expectancy fading. But then he felt his mother's hands tighten over his own, and in her touch he found the strength he needed to do what he knew he must. Nevertheless, his eyes were brimming as he lifted his gaze once more. I'm going to miss you so much, Mom, he whispered. His mother nodded. I love you, Annie. She released his hands. "'Now hurry.' "'Anakin gave her a quick, hard hug "'and raced from the room, tears streaking his face. "'Once within his own room, "'Anakin stood staring about in sudden bewilderment. "'He was leaving, and he did not know "'when he would be coming back. "'He had never been anywhere but here, "'never known anyone but the people of Mos Espa "'and those who came to trade with them. "'He had dreamed about other worlds and other lives,' about becoming a pilot of a mainline ship, and about becoming a Jedi. But the impact of what it actually meant to be standing at the threshold of an embarkation to the life he had so often wished for was overwhelming. He found himself thinking of the old Spacer, telling him that he wouldn't be surprised at all if Anakin Skywalker became something more than a slave. He had wanted that more than anything, had hoped with all his heart for it to happen, but he had never ever considered the possibility he would have to leave his mother behind. He wiped the tears from his eyes, fighting back new ones, hearing his mother's and Qui-Gon's voices from the other room. Thank you, his mother was saying softly. I will watch after him. You have my word. The Jedi's deep voice was warm and reassuring. Will you be all right? Anakin couldn't hear her reply, but then she said, He was in my life for such a short time. She trailed off, distracted. Anakin forced himself to quit listening, and he began pulling clothes out and stuffing them into a backpack. He didn't have much, and it didn't take him long. He looked about for anything of importance he might have missed, and his eyes settled on C-3PO, sitting motionless on the workbench. He walked over to the protocol droid and switched him on. C-3PO cocked his head and looked at the boy blankly. Well, 3PO, I'm leaving, Anakin said solemnly. I'm free. I'm going away in a starship. He didn't know what else to say. The droid cocked his head. Well, Master Anakin, you are my maker and I wish you well, although I'd like it better if I were a little less naked. The boy sighed and nodded. "'I'm sorry I wasn't able to finish you, 3PO, "'to give you coverings and all. "'I'm going to miss working on you. "'You've been a great pal. "'I'll make sure Mom doesn't sell you or anything. "'Bye.' "'He snatched up his backpack and rushed from the room, "'hearing C-3PO call after him plaintively, "'Sell me?' "'He said goodbye to his mother, "'braver now, more determined, "'and walked out the door with Qui-Gon.' His course of action settled; he had gotten barely a dozen meters from his home when Kitster, who had trailed them back from the fight, came rushing up to him. "Where are you going, Annie?" his friend asked doubtfully. Anakin took a deep breath. "I've been freed Kitster I'm going away with Quigon on a spaceship. Kitster's eyes went wide, and his mouth opened in a silent exclamation. Anakin fished in his pockets and came out with a handful of credits, which he shoved at his friend. Here, these are for you. Kitster's dark face looked down at the credits, then back up at Anakin. Do you have to go, Annie? Do you have to? Can't you stay? Annie, you're a hero. Anakin swallowed hard. I... He glanced past Kitster to his mother, still standing in the doorway looking after him then down to where Qui-Gon was waiting. He shook his head. ''I can't.'' Kitster nodded. ''Well?'' ''Well,'' Anakin repeated, looking at him. ''Thanks for everything, Annie,'' the other boy said. There were tears in his eyes as he accepted the credits. ''You're my best friend.'' Anakin bit his lip. ''I won't forget.'' He hugged Kitster impulsively, then broke away and raced toward Qui-Gon. But before he reached him, he glanced back one more time at his mother. Seeing her standing in the doorway brought him about. He stood there momentarily, undecided, conflicting emotions tearing at him. Then his already shaky resolve collapsed altogether, and he raced back to her. By the time he reached her, he was crying freely. "'I can't do it, Mom.' he whispered clinging to her I just can't he was shaking racked with sobs disintegrating inside so quickly that all he could think about was holding on to her Shmi let him do so for a moment comforting him with her warmth then backed him away she knelt before him her worn face solemn Annie remember when you climbed that dune in order to chase the Banthas away so they wouldn't be shot you were only five Remember how you collapsed several times in the heat, exhausted, thinking you couldn't do it, that it was too hard? Anakin nodded, his face streaked with tears. Schmee held his gaze. This is one of those times when you have to do something you don't think you can do. But I know how strong you are, Annie. I know you can do this. The boy swallowed his tears, thinking she was wrong, He was not strong at all but knowing too she had decided he must go even if he found it hard even if he resisted. Will I ever see you again? he asked in desperation giving voice to the worst of his fears. What does your heart tell you? she asked quietly. Anakin shook his head doubtfully. I don't know. Yes, I guess. His mother nodded. Then it will happen, Annie. Anakin took a deep breath to steady himself. He had stopped crying now and he wiped the dampness of his tears from his face. I will become a Jedi, he declared in a small voice. And I will come back and free you, Mom. I promise. No matter where you are, my love will be with you, Shmi told him, her kind face bent close to his. Now be brave, and don't look back." "I love you, Mom," Anakin said. She hugged him one final time, then turned him around so he was facing away from her. "Don't look back, Annie," she whispered. She gave him a small push, and he strode determinedly away, shouldering his pack, keeping his eyes fixed on a point well past where Qui-Gon stood waiting. He walked toward that point without slowing marching right past the Jedi Master, fighting back the tears that threatened to come yet again. It took only a few minutes, and his mother and his home were behind him. They went to Watto's shop first, where the Toydarian had completed the forms necessary to assure Anakin's freedom. The transmitter that bound Anakin to his life of slavery was deactivated permanently. It would be removed surgically at a later date. Watto was still grumbling about the unfairness of things as they left him and went back out into the street. From there, at Anakin's urging, they walked to Jira's fruit stand a short distance away. Anakin, much recovered from the trauma of leaving his mother, marched up to the old woman and put a handful of credits into her frail hands. "'I've been freed, Jira,' he told her, a determined set to his jaw. "'I'm going away. Use these for that cooling unit I promised you.' otherwise I'll worry Jira looked at the credits in disbelief she shook her white head can I give you a hug she asked him softly she reached out for him drawing him against her thin body her eyes closing as she held him I'll miss you Annie she said releasing him there isn't a kinder boy in the galaxy you be careful He left her in a rush, racing after Qui-Gon, who was already moving away, anxious to get going. They walked in silence down a series of side streets, the boy's eyes taking in familiar sights he would not soon see again, remembering his life here, saying goodbye. He was lost in his own thoughts when Qui-Gon swung about with such swiftness it caught the boy completely by surprise. Down swept the Jedi's lightsaber in a brilliant arc, cutting through the shadows between two buildings, clashing momentarily with something made of metal that shattered in the wake of the weapon's passing. Qui-Gon clicked off the lightsaber and knelt to inspect a cluster of metal parts still sparking and fizzing in the sand. The acrid smell of ozone and burning insulation hung in the dry air. What is it? the boy asked, peering over his shoulder. Qui-Gon rose. Probe droid... Very unusual, not like anything I've seen before. He glanced about worriedly, eyes sharp and bright as he cast up and down the street. Come on, Annie, he ordered, and they moved quickly away. Fifteen Qui-Gon took the boy out of Mos Espa swiftly, hurrying through the crowded streets to the less populated outskirts. All the while, his eyes and mind were searching. The former, the landscape of Tatooine, the latter, the landscape of the Force. His instincts had alerted him to the presence of the probe droid tracking them, and his Jedi training in the ways of the Force warned him now of something far more dangerous. He could feel a shifting in the balance of things that suggested an intrusion on the harmony that the Force required, a dark weight descending like a massive stone. Once out on the desert, in the open, he picked up the pace. The Queen's transport came into view, a dark shape just ahead, a haven of safety. He heard Anakin call out to him, the boy working hard to keep up, but beginning to fall behind. Glancing over his shoulder to give his response and offer encouragement, he caught sight of the speeder and its dark-cloaked rider bearing down on them. ''Drop, Anakin!'' he shouted, wheeling about. The boy threw himself face down, flattening against the sand as the speeder whipped overhead, barely missing him as it bore down on Qui-Gon. The Jedi Master already had his lightsaber out, the blade activated, the weapon held before him in two hands. The speeder came at him, a saddle-shaped vehicle with no weapons in evidence, made to rely on quickness and maneuverability rather than firepower. It was like nothing the Jedi had ever seen, but vaguely reminiscent of something dead and gone." Its rider rode out of the glare of the suns and was revealed. Bold markings of red and black covered a demonic face in strange, jagged patterns, beneath a crown of stunted horns encircling its head. Man-shaped and humanoid, his slitted eyes and hooked teeth were nevertheless feral and predatory, and his howl was a hunter's challenge to his prey.' The primal scream had barely sounded before he was on top of Qui-Gon, wheeling the speeder aside deftly at the last moment, closing off its thruster and leaping from the seat, all in one swift movement. He carried a lightsaber of another make, and the weapon was cutting at the Jedi Master even before the attacker's feet had touched the ground. Qui-Gon, surprised by the other's quickness and ferocity, barely blocked the blow with his own weapon, the blade sliding apart with a harsh rasp. The attacker spun away in a whirl of dark clothing, then attacked anew, lightsaber slashing at his intended prey, face alight with a killing frenzy that promised no quarter. Anakin was back on his feet, staring at them, clearly unable to decide what he should do. Fighting to hold his ground, Qui-Gon caught sight of him out of the corner of his eye. Annie, get out of here, he cried out. His attacker closed with him again, forcing him back, striking at him from every angle. Even without knowing anything else, Qui-Gon knew this man was trained in the fighting arts of a Jedi, a skilled and dangerous adversary. Worse, he was younger, quicker, and stronger than Qui-Gon, and he was gaining ground rapidly. The Jedi Master blocked him again and again, but could not find an opening that would provide any chance of escape. Annie, he screamed again, seeing the boy immobilized. Get to the ship! Tell them to take off! Go, go! Hammering at the demonic-faced attacker with renewed determination, Qui-Gon Jinn saw the boy at last begin to run. In a rush of emotion dominated by fear and doubt, Anakin Skywalker raced past the combatants for the Naboo spacecraft. It sat not 300 meters away, metal skin gleaming dully in the afternoon sunlight. Its loading ramp was down, but there was no sign of its occupants. Anakin ran faster, sweat streaking his body. He could feel his heart hammering in his chest as he reached the ramp and bounded onto the ship. Just inside the hatchway, he found Padme and a dark-skinned man in uniform coming toward him. When Padme caught sight of him, her eyes went wide. Qui-Gon's in trouble, the boy blurted out, gasping for breath. He says to take off, now! Now! The man stared, eyes questioning and suspicious. ''Who are you?'' he demanded. But Padme was already moving, seizing Anakin by the arm, pulling him toward the front of the spacecraft. ''He's a friend,'' she answered, leading the way forward. ''Hurry, Captain.'' They rushed down the hallway into the cockpit, Anakin trying to tell the girl what had happened. His words tumbling over one another, his face flushed and anxious. Padme moved him along in a no nonsense way, nodding her understanding, telling him to hurry, taking charge of everything. When they reached the cockpit, they found two more men at work checking out the craft's control panel. They turned at the approach of Anakin and his companions. One wore a pilot's insignia on the breast of his jacket. The second, Anakin was quite certain from the cut of his hair and the look of his clothing, was another Jedi. Qui-Gon is in trouble, Padme announced quickly. He says to take off, Anakin added in support. The Jedi was on his feet at once. He was much younger than Qui-Gon, his face smooth, his eyes intense, his hair cut short save for a single braided pigtail that fell over his right shoulder. Where is he? he demanded. Then, without waiting for an answer, he wheeled back to the viewport and began scanning the empty flats. I don't see anything, the pilot said, peering over his shoulder. Over there. The sharp eyes of the Jedi caught sight of movement just at the corner of the port. Get us into the air and over there, now. Fly low. The man called Rick threw himself into the pilot's seat, while the others, Anakin included, scrambled to find seats. The big repulsor lifts kicked in with a low growl, the rampway sealed, and the sleek transport rose and wheeled smoothly about. ''There,'' the Jedi breathed, pointing. They could see Qui-Gon Jinn now, engaged in battle with the dark-garbed demonic figure. The combatants surged back and forth across the flats, lightsabers flashing brightly with each blow struck, sand and grit swirling in all directions. Qui-Gon's long hair streamed out behind him in sharp contrast to the smooth-horned head of his adversary. The pilot Rick took the spacecraft toward them quickly, "'skimming the ground barely higher than a speeder bike "'coming in from behind the attacker. "'Anakin held his breath as they closed on the fighters. "'Rick's hand slid over the control that would lower the ramp, "'easing it forward carefully. "'Stand by,' he ordered, "'freezing them all in place as he swung the ship about. "'The combatants disappeared in a fresh swirl of sand "'and the glare of Tatooine's twin suns. "'All eyes shifted quickly to the view screens, "'searching desperately.' Then Qui-Gon appeared, leaping onto the lowered rampway of the transport, gaining purchase, one hand grasping a strut for support. Rick hissed in approval and fought to hold the spacecraft steady. But the horned attacker was already in pursuit, racing out of the haze and leaping onto the ramp as the ship began to rise. Balanced precariously against the sway of the ship, eyes flaring in rage, he fought to keep his footing. Qui-Gon attacked at once, rushing the other man, closing with him at the edge of the ramp. They were twenty meters into the air by now, the pilot holding the spacecraft steady as he saw the combatants come to grips yet again, afraid to go higher while Qui-Gon was exposed. The Jedi Master and his adversary filled the viewscreen commanding the rampway entrance, faces tight with determination and streaked with sweat. Qui-Gon... Anakin heard the second Jedi say quietly, desperately, watching the battle for just a moment more, then tearing his eyes away from the viewscreen and racing down the open corridor. On the screen, Anakin watched Qui-Gon Jinn step back, level his lightsaber, and swing a powerful two-handed blow at his attacker. The horned man blocked it, but only barely, and in the process lost his balance completely. The blow's force swept him away, clear of the ramp and off into space, He dropped back toward the desert floor, landed in a crouch, and rose instantly to his feet. But the chase was over. He stood watching in frustration, yellow eyes aflame, as the ramp to the Queen's transport closed and the spacecraft rocketed away. Qui-Gon had barely managed to scramble up the rampway and into the interior of the ship before the hatch sealed and the Nubian began to accelerate. He lay on the cool metal floor of the entry, his clothing dusty and damp with his sweat, his body bruised and battered. He breathed deeply, waiting for his pounding heart to quiet. He had barely escaped with his life, and the thought was worrisome. His opponent was strong and had tested him severely. He was getting old, he decided, and he did not like the feeling. Obi-Wan and Anakin rushed down the hallway to help him to his feet, and it was hard to tell which of them looked the more worried. It made him smile in spite of himself. The boy spoke first. Are you all right? he asked, his young face mirroring his concern. qui nodded, brushing himself off. I think so. That was a surprise I won't soon forget. What sort of creature was it? Obi-Wan pressed, brow furrowed darkly. He wants to go back and pick up where I left off. Qui-Gon thought. The Jedi Master shook his head. I'm not sure. Whoever or whatever he was, he was trained in the Jedi arts. My guess is he was after the Queen. Do you think he'll follow us? Anakin asked quickly. We'll be safe enough once we're in hyperspace, Qui-Gon replied, sidestepping the question. But I have no doubt he knows our destination. If he found us once he can find us again. The boy's brow furrowed. What are we going to do about it? At this point, Obi-Wan turned to stare at the boy, giving him a look that demanded in no uncertain terms, What do you mean, we? The boy caught the look and stared back at him, expressionless. We will be patient, Qui-Gon advised, straightening himself, drawing their attention back to him. Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. The boy beamed. Pleased to meet you. Wow, you're a Jedi Knight too, aren't you? The younger Jedi looked from the boy to Qui-Gon and rolled his eyes in despair. From the entry, they made their way back down the hall to the cockpit where Rick Oli was at work preparing the ship for the jump to hyperspace. Qui-Gon introduced Anakin to each of those present then moved to the console to stand next to Rick. Ready, the pilot announced over his shoulder, one eyebrow cocked expectantly. Qui-Gon nodded. Let's hope the hyperdrive works and Watto doesn't get the last laugh. Standing in a group behind Rick, the company watched silently as he fitted his hands to the controls and engaged the hyperdrive. There was a quick, sharp whine, and the stars that filled the viewport turned from silver pinpricks to long streamers, "'as the ship streaked smoothly into hyperspace, leaving Tatooine behind. "'Night lay over the planet of Naboo, "'but the silence of Theed exceeded even that normally experienced "'by those anticipating sleep. "'In the ornately appointed throne room "'that had once been the sole province of Queen Amidala, "'a strange collection of creatures gathered "'to witness the sentencing of Governor C.O. Bibble.' Trade Federation Viceroy Newt Gunray had convened the assembled, which consisted of Rune Hako and several other Neimoidians, the Governor and a handful of officials in the Queen's service, and a vast array of battle droids armed with blasters to keep the Naboo prisoners in line. The Nemoidian was seated in a mechno chair, a robotic walker that bore him from one part of the room to another, metal legs moving in response to a simple touch of his fingers. It carried him to C. O. Bibble and the Nabu officials now, jointed armatures working in careful precision, allowing him to remain relaxed and comfortable as he took note of the fear in the eyes of the officials backing Bibble. The governor was having none of it, however. Steadfast even now, he faced Gunray with anger and determination, his white head level, his eyes challenging. The Neimoidian glared at him. Co Bibble was becoming a source of irritation.' "When are you going to give up this pointless strike?" he snapped at the Governor, leaning forward slightly to emphasize his displeasure. "I will give up the strike, Viceroy, when the Queen-Your Queen is lost! Your people are starving." Bibble stiffened. "The Naboo will not be intimidated, not even at the cost of innocent lives." "Perhaps you should worry more about yourself, Governor," Gunray cut him off sharply. The odds are that you are going to die much sooner than your people. He was shaking with rage, and all at once his patience was exhausted. Enough of this, he exploded. Take him away. The battle droids moved quickly, surrounding C.O. Bibble, separating him from his colleagues. This invasion will gain you nothing, the governor called back over his shoulder as he was dragged out. We are a democracy. The people have decided, Viceroy. They will not live in tyranny. The rest of what he said was lost as he disappeared through the doorway into the hall beyond. The Naboo officials filed out after him, silent and dejected. The Nemoidian stared after them momentarily, then turned his attention to OOM-9 as the commander of his battle droids approached, metal face blank, voice devoid of inflection. "'My troops are in position to begin searching the swamps "'for the rumoured underwater villages,' OOM-9 reported. "'They will not stay hidden for long.' "'Newt Gunray nodded and dismissed him with a wave of his hand. "'He thought nothing of these savages who occupied the swamps. "'They would be crushed in short order. "'For all intents and purposes, the planet was in his control.' He leaned back in the mechno chair, a measure of calmness returning. All that remained was for the Sith Lords to bring him the Queen. Certainly, they should have little difficulty in accomplishing that. Nevertheless, he knew he wouldn't be happy until this business was over. Aboard the Queen's transport, Anakin Skywalker sat shivering in a corner of the central chamber, trying to decide what he should do to get warm. Everyone else was asleep, and he had been asleep as well, but only for a short time, troubled by his dreams. He came awake to the silence and could not make himself move, paralyzed by more than simply the cold. Jar Jar slept to one side, stretched out in a chair, head back, snoring loudly. Nothing kept the Gungan from sleeping, or eating for that matter. The boy smiled briefly. R2-D2 rested close by, upright and mostly silent, his lights blinking softly. Anakin stared into the darkness, willing himself to move, to overcome his inertia. But his dreams haunted him still. He found himself thinking of his mother and home, and everything closed down inside. He missed her so much. He had thought it would get better once he was away, but it hadn't. Everything reminded him of her, and if he tried to close his eyes against those memories, he found her face waiting for him, suspended in the darkness of his thoughts, anxious and worn. Tears came to his eyes, unbidden. Maybe he had made a mistake by coming. Maybe he should go home. Except he couldn't now. Maybe not ever again. A slim figure entered the room and Anakin watched the light of a viewscreen illuminate Padme's soft face. Standing as if carved from stone, she clicked on a recording and stood watching the replay of Sio Bibble's plea to Queen Amidala to come home, to save her people from starvation, to help them in their time of need. She watched it all the way through, then shut it off again and stood staring at nothing, her head bent. What was she doing? Suddenly she seemed to sense him watching and turned quickly toward where he crouched. Her beautiful face seemed tired and careworn as she approached and knelt beside him. He stiffened, trying desperately to stop from crying, but he couldn't hide either the tears or his shivering and was left huddled before her, revealed. "'Are you all right, Annie?' she asked him softly. "'It's very cold,' he managed to whisper." She smiled and removed her heavy overjacket, wrapping it around his shoulders and tucking it about him. ''You're from a warm planet, Annie. Space is cold.'' Anakin nodded, pulling the jacket tighter. He brushed at his eyes. ''You seem sad,'' he said. If she saw the irony in his observation, she did not say so. ''The Queen is worried. Her people are suffering.'' dying she must convince the senate to intervene or else she trailed off unwilling to speak the words I'm not sure what will happen she finished her voice distant her eyes sliding away from his to fix on something else I'm not sure what's going to happen to me either he admitted worriedly I don't know if I'll ever see he stopped his throat tightening the words fading away into silence. He took a deep breath, furrowed his brow, and reached into his pocket. Here, he said, I made this for you, so you'd remember me. I carved it out of a Japoor snippet. Take it. It will bring you good fortune. He handed her an intricately carved wooden pendant. She studied it a moment, face lowered in shadow, then slipped it around her neck. "'It's beautiful, but I don't need this to remember you.' "'Her face lifted to his with a smile. "'How could I forget my future husband?' "'She looked down at the pendant, fingering it thoughtfully. "'Many things will change when we reach Coruscant, Annie. "'My caring for you will not be one of them.' "'The boy nodded, swallowing. "'I know.' and I won't stop caring for you either. Only, I miss... His voice broke, and the tears sprang into his eyes once more. You miss your mother, the girl finished quietly. Anakin nodded, wiping at his face, unable to speak a word, as Padme Neberry drew him against her and held him close. 16. Even before an off-world traveller was close enough to understand why, he could tell that Coruscant was different from other planets. Seasoned veterans were always amazed at how strange the planet looked from space, casting not the softer blue and white shades of planets still verdant and unspoiled, but an odd silvery glow that suggested the reflection of sunlight off metal. The impression was not misleading— The days in which Coruscant could be viewed in any sort of natural state were dead and gone. The capital city had expanded over the centuries, building by building, until it wrapped the entire planet. Forests, mountains, bodies of water, and natural formations had been covered over. The atmosphere was filtered through oxygen regulators and purified by scrubbers, and water was gathered and stored in massive artificial aquifers. Native animals, birds, plants, and fish could be found in the museums or the climate-controlled indoor preserves. As Anakin Skywalker could clearly see from the viewport of Queen Amidala's slowly descending transport, Coruscant had become a planet of skyscrapers, their gleaming metal towers stretching skyward in a forest of spear points, an army of frozen giants blanketing the horizon in every direction. The boy stared at the city planet in awe, searching for a break in the endless forest of buildings, finding none. He glanced at Rick Oley in the pilot's seat, and Rick smiled. Coruscant, capital of the Republic. An entire planet evolved into one city. He winked. A nice place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. It's so huge, the boy breathed softly. They dropped into a landfall traffic lane and cruised slowly through the maze of buildings, sliding along the magnetic guidance lines that directed airborne vehicles. Rick explained how it worked to Anakin, who listened with half an ear, his attention still held captive by the vastness of the cityscape. In the background, the Jedi moved silently. Jar Jar crouched to one side, peering over the console through the viewport, clearly terrified by what he was seeing. Anakin knew the Gungan must long for the familiarity of his swamp home, just as the boy was thinking how much better he liked the desert. The Queen's transport slowed now, edging its way out of the traffic lane onto a landing dock that floated near a cluster of huge buildings. Anakin peered down doubtfully. They were several hundred stories up, hundreds and hundreds of meters in the air. He tore his gaze away, swallowing hard. The ship docked with a soft bump on the landing platform, its anti-grav clamps locking in place. The Queen was waiting in the main corridor with her retinue of handmaidens, guards, and Captain Panaka. She nodded at Qui-Gon, indicating that he should lead the way. Giving Padme a quick smile, Anakin followed close on the heels of the Jedi Master as he moved to the hatchway. The hatch slid open, the loading ramp lowered, and the Jedi Knights... Anakin Skywalker and Jar Jar Binks exited into the sunlight of Coruscant. The boy spent the first few minutes concentrating on not being overwhelmed, which became even more difficult once he was outside the ship. He kept his eyes on the rampway and Qui-Gon, not allowing himself to look around at first for fear he might walk right off into space. Two men, clothed in robes of office of the Republic Senate, stood at the end of the ramp, flanked by a contingent of Republic guards. The Jedi approached the pair and bowed formally in greeting. Anakin and Jar Jar were quick to do the same, though only Anakin knew who they were bowing to and why. Now Queen Amidala appeared, dressed in her black and gold robes, with the feathered headpiece lending height and flow to her movements as she descended the ramp. Her handmaidens surrounded her, wrapped in their cloaks of crimson, faces barely visible in the shadows of their drawn hoods. Captain Panaka and his complement of Naboo guards escorted them. Amidala stopped before the two men who waited, eyes shifting to the man with the kindly face and anxious eyes. Senator Palpatine, the Queen's emissary to the Republic Senate, bowed in welcome, hands clasped in the folds of his blue-green robes. "'It is a great relief to see you alive and well, Your Majesty,' "'he offered with a smile, straightening once more. "'May I present Supreme Chancellor Valorum?' "'Valorum was a tall, silver-haired man of indeterminate age, "'neither young nor old in appearance, but something of each, "'his bearing and voice strong, "'but his face and startling blue eyes tired and worried. "'Welcome, Your Highness,' he said, "'a faint smile working its way onto his stern features.' "'It is an honour to finally meet you in person. "'I must relate to you how distressed everyone is "'over the current situation on Naboo. "'I have called for a special session of the Senate "'so that you may present your request for relief.' "'The Queen held his gaze "'without moving even a fraction of a centimetre. "'Tall and regal in her robes of office, "'white-painted face as still and cool as ice. "'I am grateful for your concern, Chancellor.' "'she said quietly. "'Out of the corner of his eye, "'Anakin recognised Padmé staring out at him "'from beneath her concealing hood. "'When he turned toward her, "'she gave him a wink, "'and he felt himself blush. "'Palpatine had moved to the Queen's side "'and was indicating an air-shuttle "'that was awaiting them. "'There is a question of procedure, "'but I feel confident we can overcome it,' "'he was saying, guiding her along the rampway,' their handmaidens, Captain Panaka and the Naboo guards in tow. Anakin started to follow, Jar Jar at his side, then stopped as he saw that the Jedi were still standing with Supreme Chancellor Valorum. Anakin glanced back questioningly at Qui-Gon, not certain where he was supposed to go. The Queen and her retinue slowed in response, and Amidala motioned for Anakin and the Gungan to join them. Anakin looked again at Qui-Gon, who nodded wordlessly. Moving into the air shuttle with the Queen, Anakin and Jar Jar settled quietly into place in the very back seat. Senator Palpatine glanced over his shoulder at them from the front, a look of skepticism crossing his face before he turned away again. Me not feeling too good about being here, Annie, the Gungan whispered doubtfully. Anakin nodded and tightened his mouth determinedly. They flew only a short distance, to another cluster of buildings and another loading dock. This one clearly meant for shuttlecraft. There they disembarked and were escorted by Palpatine to his quarters, a portion of which had been made ready for the Queen and her entourage. Anakin and Jar Jar were given a room and a chance to clean up, and were left alone. After a time they were collected by one of the handmaidens, not Padme, Anakin noted with disappointment, and escorted to a waiting room situated outside what appeared to be Palpatine's office. "'Wait here,' the handmaiden instructed, and disappeared back down the hallway. The doors to the senator's office were open, and the boy and the gungan could see inside clearly. The queen was present, dressed now in a gown of purple velvet, which was wrapped about her slim form in layers, the sleeves long and full, hanging gracefully from her slender arms.' A fan-shaped crown with ornate beadwork and tassels rested upon her head. She was sitting in a chair, listening as Palpatine spoke to her. Her handmaidens stood to one side, crimson robes and hoods drawn close about them. Anakin did not think either was Padme. He wondered if he should try to find her instead of waiting here, but he did not know where to look. The conversation within seemed decidedly one-sided... Senator Palpatine gesturing animatedly as he stalked the room, the Queen as still as stone. Anakin wished he could hear what was being said. He glanced at Jar Jar, and he could tell from the Gungan's restless eyes he was thinking the same thing. When Captain Panaka walked past them and entered the room beyond, screening them from view for just a moment, Anakin rose impulsively, motioning for Jar Jar to stay where he was, putting a finger to his lips in warning he moved to one side of the doorway, pressing close. Through the crack between the open door and the jamb, he could just make out the voices of Palpatine and the Queen, muffled and indistinct. Palpatine had stopped moving and was standing before the Queen, shaking his head. The Republic is not what it once was. The Senate is full of greedy, squabbling delegates who are only looking out for themselves and their home systems. There is no interest in the common good, no civility. "'Only politics.' "'He sighed wearily. "'It's disgusting. "'I must be frank, Your Majesty. "'There is little chance "'the Senate will act on the invasion.' "'Amidala was silent a moment. "'Chancellor Valorum "'seems to think there is hope.' "'If I may say so, Your Majesty,' "'the Senator replied, "'his voice kind but sad. "'The Chancellor has little real power. "'He is mired in baseless accusations "'of corruption.' A manufactured scandal surrounds him. The bureaucrats are in charge now. The Queen rose, standing tall and fixed before him. What options do we have, Senator? Palpatine seemed to think on the matter for a moment. Our best choice would be to push for the election of a stronger Supreme Chancellor, one who could take control of the bureaucrats, enforce the laws... "'and give us justice.' "'He brushed back his thick hair, "'worrying his forehead with steepled fingers. "'You could call for a vote of no confidence "'in Chancellor Valorum.' "'Amidala did not seem convinced. "'Valorum has been our strongest supporter. "'Is there no other way?' "'Palpatine stood before her. "'Our only other choice would be to submit the matter to the courts. "'There is no time for that.' The Queen interrupted quickly, a hint of anger in her voice. "'The courts take even longer to decide things than the Senate.' She shifted purposefully, and edge sharpening her words further. "'Our people are dying, more and more each day. We must do something quickly. We must stop the Trade Federation before this gets any worse.' Palpatine gave Amidala a stern look. "'To be realistic about the matter, Your Highness,' "'I believe we are going to have to accept Trade Federation control "'as an accomplished fact, for the time being, at least.' "'The Queen shook her head slowly. "'That is something I cannot do, Senator.' "'They faced each other in the silence that followed, eyes locked, "'and Anakin Skywalker, hiding behind the door without, "'found himself wondering suddenly what had become of Qui-Gon Jinn.' Unlike other buildings in the vast sprawl of Coruscant, the Jedi Temple stood alone. A colossal pyramid with multiple spires rising skyward from its flat top. It sat apart from everything at the end of a broad promenade linking it with bulkier, sharper-edged towers in which solitude and meditation were less likely to be found. Within the temple were housed the Jedi Knights and their students— the whole of the Order engaged in contemplation and study of the Force, in codification of its dictates and mastery of its disciplines, and in training to serve the greater good it embodied. The Jedi Council Room dominated a central portion of the complex. The Council itself was in session, its doors closed, its proceedings hidden from the eyes and ears of all but fourteen people, twelve of them some human, some non human, comprised the Council, a diverse and seasoned group who had gravitated to the Order from both ends of the galaxy. The final two Jedi, who were guests of the Council this afternoon, were Qui Gon Jinn and Obi Wan Kenobi. The seats of the Twelve Council members formed a circle facing inward to where Qui Gon and Obi Wan stood, the former relating the events of the past few weeks the latter a step behind his master, listening attentively. The room was circular and domed, supported by graceful pillars spaced between broad windows open to the city and the light. The shape of the room and the council seating reflected the Jedi belief in the equality of and interconnection between all things. In the world of the Jedi, the balance of life within the Force was the pathway to understanding and peace. Qui-Gon studied the faces of his listeners as he spoke, each of them familiar to him. Most were Jedi masters like himself, among them Yoda and Mace Windu, seniors in rank among those seated. They were more compliant in the ways of the Jedi Order than he had ever been or would probably ever be. He stood apart in the mosaic circle that formed a speaker's platform for those who addressed the Council, his tall, broad form and deep voice commanding the attention of those gathered, his blue eyes fixing them each in turn, constantly searching for a reaction to his words. They watched him carefully, stately Ki Adimundi, young and beautiful Adi Gallia, slender Depabilaba, crested and marble-faced Evan Peel, and all the others, each different and unique in appearance, each with something vital to offer as a representative of the council. Qui-Gon brought his eyes back to Mace Windu and Yoda, the ones he must convince, the ones most respected and powerful of those who sat in judgment. My conclusion, he finished quietly, his story completed, is that the one who attacked me on Tatooine is a Sith Lord. The silence that followed was palpable, then there was a stirring of brown robes, a shifting of bodies and limbs. Glances were exchanged and murmurs of disbelief quickly voiced. "A Sith lord," Mace Windu repeated with a growl, leaning forward. He was a strong, dark-skinned man with a shaved head and penetrating eyes, smooth-faced despite his years. "Impossible," Ki-Adi-Mundi snapped irritably, not bothering to hide his dismay at the suggestion. "The Sith have been gone for a millennium." Yoda shifted only slightly in his chair, a small and wizened presence in the company of much larger beings, his eyes gone to slits like a contented sand-panther's, his whiskery, wrinkled face turned toward Qui-Gon's thoughtfully. "'Threatened, the Republic is, if the Sith are involved,' he observed in his soft gravelly voice. The others began to mutter anew among themselves. Qui-Gon said nothing.' waiting them out. They had believed the Sith destroyed. They had believed them consumed by their own lust for power. He could feel Obi-Wan shift uncomfortably at his shoulder, having trouble maintaining his silence. This book is continued on Disc 7.